Good evening. So, Cammy, can't you don't you love it at every 7 p.m. just <laughs> sitting here in the Bill Austin? Isn't it great? I'm here every week at 7 p.m. on this very day, and I do love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yes, we're doing another gimmick because believe it or not. We got a guest joining us today. Surprise, I'm actually not usually here. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, you're listening to The Review Squared on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. I'm Gideon Kariuki. I'm John Brown. And I'm Cammie Parrish. Who is our wonderful guest panelist today. Unfortunately, most of the panel is not here. Uh, We do hope to maybe see Haley later. Uh, Crossing our fingers. She might make a spot appearance at the end, but... Everyone else, uh, Kirsten and Ethan, are both absent this weekend. We yeah, do miss I them was dearly. the backup. <laughs> You're not the backup. We have Okay, for those of you at home, we have been planning to book Cammy on this show for months. I have been bugging her about it for a while. So, yeah. Anyways, it's always wonderful to be here. Thank you for coming on. So, actually, before we get started, do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? I would love to tell them a little bit about myself. Um, so, my name is Cammy. Uh, I'm a junior at the Cronkite School studying print journalism and political science. Um, Right now, I'm co-executive editor of Downtown Devil, which is a hyper-local student-run publication covering the happenings of downtown Phoenix. Um, And I'm also an intern on the National Politics Desk at Arizona Central, which is like the big daily in Arizona. Um, That's pretty fun. I get to just write stories over there. Uh, I also am involved with Blaze Radio. I do a fun little show on Monday nights at 7 p.m. It's called the Blaze Ray Duo. Tune in. Uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, aside from journalism stuff, I play piano, I play bass, and I really know a lot about Roman Emperor Nero for no reason. And I know a lot about education. <laughs> yes, you do. And uh, the, I didn't know about the Nero thing, but given oh, yeah. your educational background, it doesn't surprise <laughs> me. But <laughs> those of you who know, know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this week I don't have a normal segment. Uh It's going to be a real short one for me uh, before we get into actually what is going to be a majority of this episode. Uh, So for updates from me on things we have talked about in the past, because we have talked about two bills in the past, one recently, one not so recently, that I just want to give an update on. So House Bill 2674, the housing bill from last episode, got pulled. To put it quite briefly, they flew a little too close to the sun with some of their proposals and uh, taking it back to the drawing board after backlash. So, yeah, that's that for House Bill 2674. We might talk about that again someday. This is actually going back to, John, you won't believe it, Season 1, Episode 1. What was my segment? You know this. Um, I have a very bad memory, so I don't know. Wait, give me a hint. It has to do huge social issue that is being made into hay uh, by some. Yeah, it is a social issue. I will say that. I'm here for the trivia round. This is exciting. yeah. I'm not good at trivia. <laughs> no, you're good. No, I, I remind me. I will, and I'll remind all of you listening at home. It was actually, I talked about a ban of trans women and girls from sports way back. There we go. Yes. I I do remember that now. Yeah. That was the first thing I talked about when we first were on Review Squared, like at this, we've been, well, we were back at 8 p.m. back then. We Mm -hmm. had the Friday night death slot, (laughs) 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 so to speak, but... Yeah, all the way back then when we were starting out, I talked about a bill banning trans women and girl from, girls from women's sports. It was, wasn't it introduced by, it was either introduced or really like sponsored or backed behind, I don't know if it was a state senator from North Phoenix or it was Flagstaff, I don't know if North I'm North Phoenix, um, and she was a state representative at the time, Nancy Bardo. There we go, she yes. She is a state senator now, uh, she was a state representative before. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, got this it. was way back in 2020. Uh, yeah. Before, remember those sweet days when we were all innocent and didn't know uh, Jack <laughs> Diddley about COVID? Those, like, two months before everything, like, erupted. Yeah, true. It was a good two months. Truly, Cammy. <laughs> but anyways, that bill from way back when, 
um, season one, episode one, actually made a revival. Bardo is once again the lead sponsor of that as a state senator now. And it got passed through a Senate committee three weeks ago that this is old news. I just wanted to say I did see it when it happened. And I do want to just state, state that on the show that, yes, I did see that happen. Um, <laughs> I do actually follow up on the things I talk about on here, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, Nancy Bardo did not give up on that. And it's uh, supposed to be put in front of the Rules Committee last I saw on it uh, earlier today. So, anyways... That is that for my very short segment. And for the next one, I'm going to hand it off to Cammie and John to kind of tag team the next one. Okay, cool. Uh, John, do you want me to kind of start on the origins and then whenever you have things to add, because I am certain that I'm missing things, you can just interrupt me and let me know. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. So uh, we're talking about the education spending cap. Uh, if you follow any of the Arizona legislators on Twitter, you've been seeing it for about a week and a half. Uh, it's kind of kind of like one of the bigger stories in Arizona right now. Uh, but here's the background on it. Uh, in 1980, there was a spending limit placed on it's just somewhere in the Arizona Constitution. Uh, if you want to fact check me, it's Article 9, Section 21. Uh, it's called the Aggregate Expenditure Limit. And it was calculated using the 1979 to 1980 expenditures for schools in Arizona. And it's usually adjusted for inflation and student enrollment every year, but we're still using that 1979 base to this day. And that's kind of one of the big issues right now that a lot of people are having. So, John, do you have anything to add so far? No, I, I think you touched it a little bit. Sorry, this mic is coming in a little hot. Um, <laughs> okay. No, I think uh, the background's all good so far. That's what I discovered, too. Very interesting stuff so far. So you're good, Cami. Cool. Okay, so um, I think next I want to go into, like, some key differences between uh, 1980 and 2022, because I think those are kind of essential to, like, understanding why people are upset here. Uh, so between 1979 and 1980, the average teacher salary was $17,000 and... $644 a year, so basically just $18,000 a year. Um, adjusted to today's dollar value, it's around $60,000 a year, uh, whereas in 2022, the average teacher salary is $45,000. Wait, excuse me, what? You, yeah. mean to say, you mean to tell me, Cammie, that the adjusted for inflation teacher yeah. salary back in 79 yeah. $60,000. Holy crap. No, that... teachers were actually making like money. Teachers used to make money in the state. I know. So exactly. That's one of the key differences. They actually paid teachers then. But even then, their expenditure limit and putting this cap in place was enough that they were able to pay all of their teachers because, you know, there weren't that many teachers. Uh, there weren't that many schools or districts. Uh, now there are 58 different districts in Maricopa County alone. I mean, it's big. We've got a lot of school districts here. Yeah, we do. Have you, like... Sorry to interrupt, but like no, the you're okay. in the if you've ever been to like the I think one of the nuttiest examples of how many school districts we have is the Southwest Valley. <laughs> um, all the constituent districts of the Agua Fria school district is an example I always think of, where it's like you live on one different side of the street, and all of a sudden you're in a different elementary school district. Yeah. Same problem in Central Phoenix. Right. But, yeah. 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 No, there's just so many districts, and having that many districts means that there are a lot of teachers and a lot of students. And yeah, so one of the other big differences between 1980 and 2022 is just population. So in 1980, the total population in Arizona was 2.81 million, whereas now it is around 7.4 million. That's their estimated for 2022. And we are the 14th most populated state in the country. So by necessity, that means we've got more kids. We need more schools. We need a lot of schools. And we need to fund these schools and we need to pay teachers because we need a lot of teachers. Uh, but as a lot of people may know, there's a teacher shortage um, mm -hmm. and we are currently 49th in the nation for per pupil funding. And we have the third worst ed system in the country ranked by Wallet Hub. So those are just some like little differences between 1980 and now. But they also came with computers and digitized learning methods and kind of like online assignments. I mean, Anyone right. who's been in school in the past, like, five years knows that it takes a lot of technology to actually go to school now. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
especially now, I feel like this couldn't have happened at like a worse two years. And as Kathy Hoffman said in her address to the Senate Education Committee on Tuesday, that this couldn't have happened at a worse time. This She said that these past two years have been so bad for educators. You have teachers going out because of COVID that they can't teach. Um, there's just not a lack of testing, a lack of funding, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to point back to the Chicago Public Schools versus the Chicago Teachers Union example where they didn't have classes for four straight days because so many people were catching COVID and the mayor and the mayor's office in the city was refusing to do um, online school and locking teachers out of their Google Classroom accounts. It's simple enough that teachers were demanding COVID tests and they simply weren't getting that. And the COVID test that kids were submitting to attend school, it wasn't being mailed out to be tested enough. Therefore, the tests were invalidated. So it all circles back to COVID-19 and how this couldn't have happened in like a worse two years. So I think it's important to note that teachers have been a lot through a lot. Everyone's been through a lot these past two years. And I think there's a lot of legislators who are personally downplaying the situation. Um, and then there's people like advocates at the Arizona Education Association. For backstory, I did this story for Cronkite News that just published this Thursday, actually. And I spoke to Vice President Marisol Garcia at the Arizona Education Association. And she said, this is not a distant impact. This is a direct impact. And educators could lose their jobs. There could be cuts. There could be cuts to theater, after school clubs, programs, programs that these kids benefit from. And if the legislator does not override the spending cap, who knows what will happen? Well, we know, but it's not going to be good. Right, exactly. No, I think you touched on the biggest difference between 1980 and 2022 is simply pandemic. <laughs> we are uh -huh. in a pandemic. Everything has to be online. That means that school is costing a lot more. And like the cost of living right now is much higher than it was before. I mean, inflation rates are up at like 40 year highs. It is expensive to be alive right now, especially in the state of Arizona. Um, yeah. And like being able to like pay teachers like a living wage. I mean, we need to be able to do that somehow. And right now with this expenditure cap, we can't really do that. But I don't know. Should we go into like why, why this happened and what changed? Yeah. Can yeah. Explain certainly. that. Okay. Yeah. So. From my understanding, there are a few factors. There's one big one and two smaller ones. So I'll briefly touch on the two smaller ones and then we'll go into the one big one because I think Gideon's going to have a lot to say about this one. Um, so two of the smaller factors um, in, oh gosh, I don't know the year on this one. Sometime mid 80s, there was a little levy placed and it was like a 0.6% tax that went toward education. And this basically was just set up so that um, it was almost like a rainy day education fund. And like the, the entire point of the levy was that it was exempt from the expenditure cap. So whatever the cap was, if they reached it, they could use the money that came from this small little tax. Okay. So it was just like a little sum of money on the side that was always available. And it ran out in 2018 and legislators did decide to renew it because they were like, well, we need some way to make sure that we have like money flowing. So they renewed it until 2041, but they did not exempt it from the expenditure cap. So it was an identical tax that just didn't have the exemption that was there before. So basically, it just meant that they were like accumulating all of this money that just wasn't ever going to like be used in the situation for which it was meant. Um, so that's one of the small reasons. I, I think it just makes sense that our 2018 legislature decided to just ignore that little extremely important, completely vital detail. Oh, boy. That's <laughs> that's a real, the legislature and all their infinite wisdom made a decision <laughs> right. moment. Exactly. Uh, one of the other small things that kind of led up to this was the District Additional Assistance Fund. Uh, this was a fund that was basically created for the same purpose because... Prior to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey being elected, it seemed like everyone in Arizona was in agreement that schools actually did need to have some sort of funding outside of this cap. Um, and then when Ducey was elected, um, sometime after the recession, I believe it started in 2009 was when they started draining this fund. So it wasn't yeah. even when he was governor, I don't think. It no, was that just was when Br he on was, Brewer. Yeah, it was just when he was 
I don't know what he was then, but I know that Tre- he was directly related. Treasurer. He was, he was treasurer, treasurer um, after from 2010 to uh, 2015. Right. Yeah, yeah, from 2011 to 2015. He got elected yeah. in 2010. So shortly after the recession, they started just kind of draining this fund because they were like, well, the schools don't need this. So between the years of 2009 and 2018, uh, they suspended around $2.4 billion that were going to be put toward education uh, in case they ever reached that little spending limit and needed something else. Um, and then in 2018, they were like, uh-oh, we did something bad. Let's start partially rebuilding this. But by this time, it's not really rebuilt enough to kind of restore nine years worth of lost money. So those are two little things that kind of led to this. Basically, we had backup plans before and now we don't. That's That's the problem. Yeah, that's, yeah. But I think the biggest thing that led to this was the drop in K through 12 enrollment in public schools over the past year, which has amounted in over $300 million in losses for this budget. And as I mentioned earlier, this little expenditure cap is usually, um, it's adjusted by inflation rates and population of public schools and population of the state. And population of public schools has gone down drastically as a result of two things, which are the pandemic and, I don't know, school choice movements, primarily. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what is it? I forget the exact percentage, but it's like, I think it's like approaching like 15 percentage or so of students are enrolled in charter schools or more. I'm not sure about that number, just to be... 28 percent 28 that's yeah it's a high (laughs) it's a pretty high number um and oh they make up 28 percent of the state's total schools and then it's 213,000 students enrolled in charters which is 20 percent of public school enrollment so 20 percent of yeah yeah, Yeah. uh, it's a lot that's a lot it is a lot and i mean both you and i cammy went to charter schools Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. yeah which uh yeah, that's a whole separate discussion. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm not sure that it is though, because this is getting worse, and um, the entire voucher program that basically said that uh, students who are going to schools with specific mandates or closed campuses can get up to seven thousand dollars from the state government in order to like attend either a private or a charter school. Right, which is very. That program is maybe one of the more insane ideas i've heard of the so we don't want to follow public health guidelines (laughs) so basically we're going to use this existing program the empowerment scholarship accounts uh which is the state voucher program right we're going to use this existing voucher program and which is immensely unpopular uh, outside of the very narrow things that it's allowed to do (laughs) like uh universal expansion i was was saying this on a traffic jam uh, earlier in the week actually Uh, I was pointing out on that show, like, vouchers were voted down 65-35 in 2018. It was not, like, universal. This was a bill that would have, that was citizen vetoed. uh, So put up up by a referendum, and it failed 65-35. It was probably the worst single beating I've seen of a political priority by Doug Ducey in a forever. And I think it was maybe the start of, the end of Doug Ducey as effective uh, politician, in my view. I think that was maybe the the chink that led to a lot of the uh, chink in his armor that led a little uh, to a lot of uh, his political woes over the past couple of years. But right, um, I want to touch on Proposition Two Hundred Eight because I think this is important to the story too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was paired with digital reporter Sarah Edwards on this story for Cronkite News and. Um, we did an interview with Chuck, um, I'm sorry, with Chuck Essex, um, and he added a, a lot of important information to this story. And what I want to touch on with um, Proposition 208, it's a 3.5 tax increase on people with incomes over $250,000 for single tax filers or $500,000 for married filers. And although this money is from Proposition 208 is going to go towards public education. Essigs really pointed out that not one penny, I'm sorry, in quote, not one penny of that money is in this year's budget, end quote. And I think that's important to highlight. And I think Sarah did really great work on the interview. 
and really great work on this digital story. And then Judge John Hanna of Maricopa County Superior Court declined to rule immediately on the constitutionality of Proposition 208. And this is coming from the Arizona Republic. Um, Hanna must make the decision by March 10th after the deadline for the legislator to override the spending cap. But Hanna said he could not pinpoint when he would rule. Uh, yeah, and Cammy, correct me if I'm wrong, from the coverage I've seen of this um, on the issue of the cap and Prop 208, like a reason why a lot of Republicans in the legislature don't want to move on lifting the cap is they want to see what happens with Prop 208. Yeah, a lot of them are waiting to see what happens with Prop 208 dollars, and a lot of them are also just using the argument that this isn't necessarily Prop 208 related, but a lot of them are like, hey, the reason that we're reaching this cap is because we have put so much money toward public education. That's kind of like the emerging argument that I've seen from most people. Oh, I've not seen that one yet. I haven't been. Yeah. yeah uh... Talk to Senator Paul Boyer. Oh, boy. Um, th- th- that's Fun not fact, a... he was a teacher at my high school. Yes, you've mentioned this before. Yeah, he was. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a small world we live in. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyways, the I, I'm not surprised that Senator Boyer saying that. Uh, and also, it's like, I guess I, I find that to be a bit of a silly argument. Because what happened during the recession when the state, you know, got pretty dang close to actual insolvency is that literally the state government was cut to the bone. They sold the capital. They literally sold the capital. I cannot emphasize how broke this state was. And what is it? It's like, okay, we're, we, we haven't even restored education funding to 2008 levels. Like, I think we, well, last I checked, that might not be true for this budget year. So don't, that's one of those, uh, as of last year, that is true. But, uh, uh, you know. Might need to check, fact check my own information on that. But yeah, as of last year, we still hadn't restored to 2008 levels of education funding. So I think it is actually kind of, kind of, how do I put this in a non, because I'm trying not to be derogatory here, because I, I, I know the <laughs> argument he's making, but I, I think it's kind of silly. Yeah. Um, also, briefly going back to the Prop 208 things, um, I wrote an article about um, basically when the legality of Prop 208 was being challenged. Uh, And Dominic Dre, he was an attorney, and he basically was just talking about how Prop 208 was, quote, a statutory initiative that needed to be a constitutional amendment, end quote. And he actually talked about this expenditure cap last year. And he was saying that even when Prop 208 money does start flowing into schools, it will, it's not exempt from that expenditure limit. And so they'll either need to change it or they'll hit that cap again the second the Prop 208 money comes in. So even people who are like waiting on Prop 208 money to see how that helps, um, it's it's kind of an interesting little thing because on the one hand, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, we don't really know what our recent changes in legislation will really do for education funding. Let's wait it out. And then on the other hand, they're also using the argument like just in a different context, just saying that this is like this entire Prop 208 thing is a sham because this is going to like just exceed the limit and then it's going to be unusable, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, it's interesting to see the two sides being argued there at different times when it's convenient. So basically the same people make it two different arguments. Yeah. (laughs) And let me tell you, to be fair, to be fair to these people, I I like, I I, I like to think I'm a very fair minded person. I'd like to think that, uh, I'm not always, let's be honest, but um, but I will get, concede the one point of the second one of it will hit the education cap is correct, actually. Right. Uh, I'm going to go as far as to make the point, uh, just to be completely fair to everyone involved in all of this, that Prop 208 is a messy as hell initiative. Right. It's kinda, it is. It, like the whole full implications of it are uh, yet to be found out and it's written quite funnily and could cause a lot of weird unintended consequences just because of the specific way the backers went about doing some things. Right. I, you know, I'm a public policy major. Like looking at it, I remember when it was on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there were some legitimate problems that came up. <laughs> yeah, it was like, absolutely. It is a very, it is a Rube Goldberg machine of an initiative, <laughs> uh, so to speak. 
I also think it's interesting to note that it basically relied on something called the gift grant exemption. And the gift grant exemption basically states that the expenditure limitations do not apply to amounts received directly or indirectly in lieu of taxes from any private agency, organization, or any individual. So it was basically relying on this thing called the gift grant exemption for which it does not apply, you know? Like the gift grant exemption is not something that can be used with a tax increase, like money that comes from a tax increase. No, it, it was a transparent <laughs> income tax increase. You can't, that is a tax. Right, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So honestly, Prop 208, passing Prop 208 meant that we were going to have to have an expenditure cap raise at some point. Um, and it's just coming out of necessity rather than planning and forethought, which is a little bit harmful. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is silly. I mean, once again, you are right. It is almost certain from from everything it looks that 208 would have forced this discussion anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But the fact that it's suspended pending, you know, all the legal challenges. Right. And we're still having this conversation is probably peak Arizona in the worst <laughs> way possible. Exactly. Yeah, the fact that this was, let's see, when did I write this article? So I wrote this in early April of 2021. And Dominic Dre was arguing about expenditure caps and the gift grant exemption in early April of 2021. And by the time that this actually happens, because the deadline is March 1st, so that's almost a full year. So they've had a full year of understanding that something has to be done with this cap. And it's just that they are not doing anything. Ah, um, yeah, that is uh, a problem. You know, just put, putting up your legs and saying, yeah, so the schools might have to cut, you know, millions of dollars we've already allocated. That That's a really, I think that's really important to emphasize. Mm -hmm. This money has been budgeted. Yes. They already, the schools have this in their coffers. Yeah. What this cap means is they can't touch it. Yeah. Yeah, they approved all of their budgets thinking that this cap would be waived because it seemed inevitable. So they right. planned to have more money than they're actually going to have. So all of these plans that they laid out, all of these neat little things that they've gathered for this entire year have to just be redone on a whim. Yeah, what, what um, correct me if I'm wrong, Cammy, was a 16% cut? I believe so. That's, John? yeah, yeah. 16% 16 cut across yeah. the board. Yeah. So and each then, school would do that. There was um, from an Arizona Family article written by Elliot Polikoff. They actually went through and talked to different school districts about how much they would be losing from what's already been budgeted. And from a big district like Mesa Unified School District, which is one of the biggest in the state. I think it is the largest. In I the think state. it is. Yeah, but I, it, it is, I believe. Yeah, it's $73.8 million that they have to go without now. So it is it is like a lot. Like 16% does not sound like that much, but like when we see it actually in use in these districts, it is everything. And Deer Valley Unified School District had a 36.3 million dollar cut. She would Yeah, no, and this all this is today's or will the, have. Yeah. Not has had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this is going to happen in less than 3 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. If, if nothing is done, uh, they're really uh, cutting it. it. It's like me turning in assignments, just turning it in completely last minute, panicking about it. It's like, forgive me for having higher standards for my state lawmakers than I do for me completing my own assignments. Right. Um, Democratic House member Jennifer Pollack introduced yes. House Bill 2335 to eliminate the cap altogether. Um, it was interesting, uh, but not surprising that Governor D Doug Ducey did not mention the cap in last month's State of the State, just to note. Oh, yeah. He did yeah. talk about a lot in that State of the State address. And actually, he it's not like he, uh, and Cammie, I'm sure you remember this, he didn't neglect education. Oh, no, he did not. He did not neglect education. In fact, he made a really, really interesting parallel between public school education and slavery. Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I remember at the time calling it one of the uh, a really prime example of absolutely cynical rhetoric from white politicians about minority communities. Right. Um, and if you're 
for those of you who aren't familiar with me and this show and are tuning in and just hearing me say this and go like, wait, who's this dude and why is he saying that? Friends, I'm black. I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just like to make that clear for those of you who are tuning in for the first time. <laughs> Anyways, I think we should take a couple minutes break and we'll come back and kind of resume our kind of free-flowing discussion of education in this state at this moment. You've been listening to The Review Squared on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Stay tuned for more in a few minutes. Okay, so we're back. We're The Review Squared on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. I'm Gideon Kariki, joined by John Brown and our guest panelist this week, Cammie Parrish. Yeah, uh, so we've been. True. Huh? <laughs> I said so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, so it's just the three of us here in studio. We've been kind of having a rolling discussion on education, kind of in light of the uh, we're less than three weeks away from hitting an education funding cap that will, as a state, that will mandate sixteen percent cuts to across the board to public school budgets. So, yes. yeah. Um, I also realized that there was something earlier that is so important to this discussion that we neglected to mention. Um, John touched on the fact that uh, Pollock has already introduced a bill that would get rid of the cap. But um, in terms of just like raising the expenditure limit, um, I think it's important to note that it has happened three separate times before. Our state government has done this before. This is not some crazy new thing. That like it, it would not be groundbreaking if we had to raise this cap and we are just not doing it. Like it has happened three times before. I know two of the times, uh, one was in 2001 and 2002 after Prop 301. And then it happened again between 2007 and 2008. So like this has not only happened before, it has happened recently, relatively. <laughs> My goodness. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. I legitimately did not know that this is n a, not a novel thing because the way that everyone seems to be acting about this. Exactly. Is, I mean, I guess it just doesn't help that uh, the legislative memory of the state legislature is close to zero because uh, yield term limits. Yeah, they do have consequences, uh, guys, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> throwing all the bums out sounds like a real great idea until it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think it's... I think it's important in this discussion when we're kind of talking about the fact that it's obvious that state Democrats are really, really looking to kind of raise this and make sure that we have a way to keep like at least keep schools budgets intact for this year. Um, while Republican lawmakers are kind of just like dragging their feet and they're really dragging this out. Um, there's actually Senator uh, Vince Leach. Uh, he is of the Republican Party. And one of I, I pulled this quote just for the show. He said, this is new money. We hit a limit set by taxpayers. Schools should not be closing. And that was everything that he said on the matter. Schools should not be closing. <laughs> okay, hear me out. If you have to make a 16% cut across the board, what is the... Okay, anyone who kn knows how finances work with, uh, with the businesses, uh, government, whatever, the first thing you look at when it's like, it is time to make cuts that big, like not just small ones, big cuts, labor mm -hmm. and what that means is a bunch of teachers are getting furloughed now right. how are you going to keep staffing schools if a bunch of teachers get furloughed is my right. five thousand dollar question for I, senator leach i just thought this was funny because obviously like he's saying schools should not be closing okay well let's keep them open and fund them but also who mentioned anything about schools closing like i thought the issue was just like funding in this moment <laughs> like, yeah, like he says we hit a limit set by the taxpayers yeah in 1979 yeah, it's like maybe the state has changed a lot. Like there's the state's population has more than doubled since 1979. Yeah, like not all of the residents who are like going to be affected by this. Hell, not all the teachers that are going to be affected by this were like involved in that decision making in 1980. That's just not how that works. No, in fact, because of the state's really high rate of in-migration, basically nobody from that time is involved in this decision. Exactly. I just thought that was an interesting little quote. But yeah, anyways, I thought it was important to note that this is not novel whatsoever. This has happened three times before between 1980 and now. And for whatever reason, this is the time that we're dragging our feet. And this seems like the worst possible time to do it. Yeah, and I guess 
I guess this is just going to be an open-ended question because, you know, there's so <laughs> many answers, so many potential answers to this. Uh, some some charitable, some less so, I can think of off the top of my head. And I'll just leave this to, leave this open. Why on earth are we doing this? Like, why is the state doing this? And I think the, the, the thing that needs to be pointed out, too... Uh, Cammy, I, I don't. I'm surprised that given that we almost kind of went down this road in the conversation that we didn't. Neither of us mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Charter schools are not affected by this. Uh uh-uh, uh, they are not. Neither are public schools or private schools. Sorry. Yeah. No, public schools are very affected by this. <laughs> yeah, it's just public schools, I believe. Yeah. Yep, public district schools are the only ones affected. Charter schools mm-hmm. are not because they were established by laws later. Right. In the, in the 80s and 90s, so... Which is fascinating to me because charter schools are also partially funded by state money. Right, right that's their primary... Right, for, yeah, like yeah. That's, that's their entire little bit is that they're partially funded by state money, yet when there is a shortage, a severe shortage of state money, they're just not really suffering at all. It's, it's really fascinating. It's almost like the school choice movement has hands <laughs> and it is now coming for the public education system i mean you know cammy i i think <laughs> i think some people might be curious and going like wait both you and gideon are like people who have like direct experience with the school choice movement mm-hmm. and there are thoughts i have specifically on the school i went to that i'm not going to share here because a you can easily find out where I went to, and B, I don't want to get sued for libel. Because <laughs> some of them are a little far out, let's just say that. Uh, but <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. And some people might be like, so wait, why are both of you just seem to be a little critical about this? It's like, well, A, when you see something up close, you, you learn a thing or two about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is a good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, my my go-to when talking about charter schools is the fact that charter schools, they're kind of like, they're supposed to be like public schools in the sense that they are non-denominational. And mine was not. I mean, All of my teachers went to the same church. Most of the students went to the same church. We read the Bible for two separate years in high school, and we studied like biblical history in middle school. It was... Seriously, wow. a it was a religious school. I went to a like massively religious school that was funded by the state. Yeah, no, and uh, and we're not, you know, for reasons, not going to say what school, but I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. But yeah. uh, I will say, for those of you who are locals, you'll probably be able to guess it pretty fast because it's a really known <laughs> for this fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's been kind of a thing in college when I tell people that I went there, there's always this kind of, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, charter schools are, they are interesting to say the least, but I also just know that when I, I, I did not go there forever. Um, I transferred there when I was in fifth grade. Um, and I know that my parents were concerned about me transferring there because it was actively pulling money away from my neighborhood public school that I had attended for years that was already severely underfunded. Mm-hmm. And there's always like kind of that dilemma. And I don't know, I'm not going to say whether they made the right choice or not, but yeah. Right. I, coming from someone for preference to the listeners, I went to school in suburban Chicago. I went to a public school. Um, I think it's interesting. I remember the red for ed movement. Um, I, I didn't, didn't that happen like five years ago? Uh, I'm honestly not sure when that Red happened, but I remember I hearing about that. I think that was 2018. Sorry? I think, it, I think that was 2018. Okay. I, I remember hearing about that when I was in school and just coming to Arizona. And I've heard a lot of things about the Arizona educational system even before I moved here. And even moving here and then hearing more about it is seriously makes you go... I mean, I can't say it because I was going to swear. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say. It makes you go like, what? Like, it's, I mean, you guys went to school here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. Obviously, you've seen it firsthand. But it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. I actually, fun fact, I didn't know until about four days ago that Red for Red wasn't a nationwide thing. 
for whatever reason in my brain it was a whole country thing and i mentioned it and i was like oh did you ever go to any of like i was talking to someone who was from minnesota and i was like did you ever go to any of the red for red stuff in minnesota and he was like what yeah, no, like, it was a very uh, it's concentrated to a couple of states, really. Yeah, yes. primarily Arizona. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, it was Arizona, Oklahoma, and West Virginia that had the really mm-hmm. big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was a couple of states that were cutting public education like to the bone, basically. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of friends. Now I had a lot of friends that went to the school that I was actually zoned to. Uh, for high school, I should note I only went to charter to a charter school for high school. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, I've been in public, private, and charter schools. Um, private <laughs> was not in this country, <laughs> but uh, as a kid in the United States, I was in public schools the entire time. Right after coming back, I was in a charter school for all of high school. But and you had the appetizer the entree and the dessert <laughs> yes i have it it, it it there's a lot to be said there but yeah uh, that, that's another day's conversation <laughs> but what i will say today is cammy i think the point you're making like on like the on the school choice movement and they're uh like once again as you know somebody who has seen it up close like i think fundamentally my issue with them at the end of the day is this kind of view of we will solve all of our challenges through education and uh, and and viewers you know well listeners uh, we're not a sh- uh, tv show <laughs> <laughs> listeners of the show most of you will probably be like well that's kind of silly but i'm like no that's an extremely common view it's like we will like among policymakers is we will solve all of our challenges if we just have a better edu- uh, educated <laughs> populace. The thing is, well, one, this let's look at the fruits of the school choice movement, shall we, in Arizona. So, um, one of the biggest ones is we have an extremely low post-secondary achievement rate. Mm-hmm. Like, bottom of the barrel. Like, we're talking about embarrassing entire like government organization and program that's dedicated to trying to raise it up to like 60 percent of all arizonans having post-secondary credentials by like 2035 or something like it's it's low enough that in 2035 60 percent is like a big goal (laughs) yeah no that like yeah no we well we're not at the absolute bottom of post-secondary achievement but we're not high it's a we're and by post-secondary, that's not just like college. I don't think, you know, four-year college is for everybody. Do not no, get me but wrong. like trade school and mm-hmm. like things like that. No, it's like, but a high school, I mean, everybody, every like everybody agrees a high school diploma is not enough now. You need to at least have trade school education at minimum to go on and, and you know, not suffer. Uh, but unfortunately, we have, we're, we're failing kids. We're just failing kids en masse here. And that is... I think my fundamental problem with the school choice movement is individualizing all of these problems. It's like, well, if only parents choose better. It, but Cammy, I mean, I think the scariest thing you can tell me, and I'm actually pulling, by the way, I, I should note that I'm pulling, it's, some of you might be like, hmm, are you pulling this from, a, from another podcast? Yes. <laughs> some, this line I'm actually pulling straight from another podcast, uh, Know Your Enemy, which I've mentioned on the show before. <clears throat> they did a recent episode kind of talking about the recent uh, backlashes, uh, re- you know, reactionary backlashes on, like, critical race theory and whatnot with uh, another uh, po- podcast host. Right. It's one of my... It is a podcast I have mentioned on the show before, once before. I, I actually, I'm a big fan of it. It is a very interesting... It is a leftist uh, look on the, on the conservative movement. And, you know, one of the things one of the people on the show, and I forgot who... Uh, mentioned was like you're taking yeah like you're, once again like you're taking all of these individual like these collective problems that should be solved by redistribution uh, like or other means and just taking them and putting them on the individual and that the line I specifically wanted to say and I, I'm pretty much sure I'm quoting this pretty close to verbatim is the worst thing you could tell me is to do my own research. Like, yeah, the worst thing you could hear is do your own research in this day. Because, I mean, do your own research? Like, uh... (laughs) Yeah. The kind of, like, what makes a good school? Getting that kind of information is hard. Yeah, Like, 
it's not just test scores, believe it or not. Right. So, yeah, no, doing your own research in an age when there's so much misinformation out there is... Uh, no, it's it's difficult, especially because... I don't know, not to like broaden this into like conversations about media, but um, I don't know. I was having a conversation with one of my professors the other day and we were just kind of talking about general news media cycles. And he was talking about how originally kind of like in the start of like American printing presses, um, there were multiple papers that you could buy in each town that just kind of catered to a specific view. And then eventually they all just kind of like homogenized and we have we had like a form of what we have today, but we've been slowly just kind of seeping back in to the alternative where we can just pick what we want to hear. And everyone knows that that's true. Everyone talks about it all the time in the Cronkite building. And I don't know, I think it's just interesting because like when it comes to things like, I don't know, post-secondary achievement, it's just, it's difficult because first of all, like, I, I don't know, where, where, where would you even go to get it other than like a college, I don't know, because trade schools have been stomped out. Right. And, and like... And the crazy yeah. thing is, in Arizona, the one one of the things I'm most proud of as an Arizona, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, Cammie, mm -hmm. we have a wonderful community college system. Oh, my goodness, we do. Maricopa County Community Colleges have my heart. I love them. No, it is. the th I tell people that is the thing I'm proudest of as mm -hmm. an Arizona. The singular thing I'm proudest of. Like, we, right? I have so many friends who have gone through the Maricopa Community Colleges system, and it has done such wonders. And of course, the, the community colleges in the rural counties are the, sometimes the only higher ed in, where, in their yeah, counties, because we absolutely. only have three state colleges. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, it is, so it's, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I, I know that there's been moves by a lot of people, like, you know, like the technical districts, like EVIT, the East Valley Institute of Technology and Westmac, uh, like in high school, I knew a lot of people that did Westmac. Mm -hmm. Like they offer technical education. Those are special school districts that offer technical education to high schoolers mostly. Right. But yeah, just saying for the listeners at home who might not be familiar with what I'm, I'm just saying, these random acronyms. But um, and so and of course, there are high schools that do offer their own technical programs internally. But it's like. We could be doing so much better. Like, mm -hmm. we are, I think the long and short of what we're saying here, I, I think if you take away nothing else, is that it is clear and evident to anyone who wants to look at the results that kids are being failed en masse in this state, just being completely failed. Right. I think John mentioned something earlier that was really interesting. He brought up the Chicago districts and all of their little, I don't know, like inner turmoils. And there was a great episode of The Daily about that. And I'm not really a huge fan of The Daily, but I listened to this episode and I thought it was like one of their best ever. Um, if you're interested in education, you should absolutely listen to it. But the entire theme was essentially just like children are pawns right now. And like students are just kind of being sacrificed here and there. And it just keeps happening, and it's been happening in Arizona, and this is just another instance where Republican lawmakers are dragging their feet, and teachers and children are going to pay the price when it's just all political mm -hmm. fighting. Yeah, no, and I think that is the thing. This is all political fighting to, for fun and for profit, uh, mm -hmm. as, as my roommate sometimes jokes. And uh, for re-election. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and really quickly before we go, because I know we're running on time here, um, I just wanted to give a shout out. I worked on this article, not this article, I'm sorry. I worked on the broadcast story for Cronkite News on Arizona PBS about this looming spending cap. And I want to give a shout out to Sarah Edwards for a really great digital piece. She did so much great work on this. And Taylor Lane and Anna Campbell, who did a lot of the digital producing on the side and grabbed some really great numbers as well. I love Sarah Edwards. Yes, she did. Oh my gosh. this yeah. We have been working on this for like two weeks now and coming together to finalize it was very hard. Um, it's a lot of numbers. It's confusing, but yeah. um, we all did such a great job on this. Yeah, congrats to you and the team. I actually do know a lot of the people you named. Uh, yeah, shout out to the two I do know, Sarah and Taylor. Very cool people. Very good at what they do. Um, so before we do leave, Cami, I do want to... As, so where where can people find you and what you do? 
On Twitter. My Twitter handle is the Cami Parish. Uh, Parish is two R's, P-A-R-R-I-S-H, and Cami is just C-A-M-I. Yes, <laughs> and um, as as somebody who is a friend of yours and also a fan of your work, I'm looking forward to seeing all that you do, and we do hope to have you back here. I hope to be back. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, we, we, we would be the panel, like, hopefully next time we'll all be here and it'll be I'll be a great time uh, talking about whatever. Uh, probably education again. Uh, <laughs> I think you might wind up becoming your education correspondent. Who knows? Uh, I'm occasional more one. than okay with that. I know you are. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, follow Cammy on Twitter. She's very fun. Uh, there's a quote I said earlier today that she tweeted out about how her social media presence is basically how unhinged can I be and still be employed? <laughs> that is her energy. I love it. You're a cool person. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay, so everyone, uh, th that is it for the Review Squared. This is, we're running out of time here. Uh, thank you for listening tonight. Uh, you can find us wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. If you can pod the casts, you can find us there. Um, yeah, listen to our previous episodes. I finally caught up, by the way. I, I, I'm, the, by the, I'm the producer of the show, for those of you who are, who are new or, or not familiar. I finally caught up. Uh, the last two episodes are up, so go listen to them if you haven't already. And that is it. That is all. Thank you so much. Uh, follow us on Twitter at re the, uh, review underscore squared. Review underscore squared. And we'll be back next week, hopefully with more of us. Uh, I'm getting karaoke. This has been the Review Squared, and have a great weekend. The song at the start of the episode is dedicated to the press by Betty Davis, and the music you hear is by Springtime.